Bannerman, if you couldn't tell by today's title, in this podcast we are going to be going over the generic tactics for the starter box contents dealing with House Stark. So I can already tell you, uh, starting off this uh, recording, is probably going to be a little chaotic because it's essentially going to be a glorified read-through of all these Stark cards. As we're reading through them uh, from the file that I provided, we, I'm going to be giving any of my general thoughts and notes and some combos and potential strategies for each one as we come across them. Uh, for each of the individual commanders, you can get uh, more info in the individual articles and podcasts dealing with them. This is going to be some just generic beginner tips and strategies and kind of a, you know, like most of my podcasts here, a uh, flow of thought as we're going through all the contents here. Uh, let's just go ahead and get started because I really don't know how long this one's going to be. Uh, we are going to start with the tactics cards, and here we have the generic tactics cards for the Starks. First one being Northern Ferocity. When a friendly unit makes a melee attack, this attack gains Sundering. Defenders suffer minus one to their defense save rolls. If this unit only has one remaining rank, it also gains Vicious. Defenders suffer minus two to their panic test. If you control the combat zone, the defender also becomes vulnerable. This is probably the most aggressive of all the uh, generic Stark Tactics cards, and kind of embodies a lot of what they do. You're going to gain Sundering, which is generically useful for giving your enemy you know, minus one to their defense saves. It's going to be especially useful in the starter box going against the Lannisters, because they're going to be fielding Lannister Guards, who have the best defense save of any of the baseline Lannister units at a 3+. This is going to help you crack through them, so you might want to save it for them. On the other hand, though, the Halberdiers and the Mountainsmen have a 4+, this reduces it to a 5+, allowing you to really cut them up. The second part of this effect is going to give you Vicious if you have one remaining rank, and this is going to be the first example you'll see of the Starks gaining bonuses for being uh, not quite dead, uh, you're going to see that coming across a lot in the army. So this is going to kind of push you into that playstyle. Uh, for the Lannisters out there, you're going to want to remember to, as I've said this time and time again, never leave Starks mostly dead, okay? you got to wipe out full units. You leave them at that last rank, they're going to usually have some kind of nasty trick for you. You get the added bonus here that if you control the combat zone, the defender becomes vulnerable, and stacking all these effects are pretty much giving the enemy as many negatives as you possibly can. The only other thing would be to make them panicked as well, but that's not really a Stark thing. Here you're going to be focusing more on the physical aggression. So you're getting all three punches here, Sundering, Vicious, and Vulnerable. Fantastic card, one of your best offensive tools, so save it for when you really need to just punch through a unit. Direwolf's Fervor. When a friendly unit suffers a panic test, that unit gains plus one to their panic test roll and an additional plus one for each destroyed rank. If you control the combat zone, one enemy engaged that unit also suffers D3 wounds. This card is generically useful against the uh, Lannisters, and I'm going to try to avoid saying generically useful a lot, because I already sense that's going to happen. Um, specifically because a lot of the methods that they're going to be using to deal you damage is going to be from panic tests. The thing to remember is that you only have two of these in your deck, and you're going to be kind of uh, wanting to play this like the first time you take a panic test. You really need to hold this off for when it's going to really matter, because you're going to gain a potential... Uh, plus three to your roll on this one if the unit is reduced under the last rank. And as I just previously talked about, that's when you're also your strongest. So when you need a unit to really hang around, like say you've got a unit of Berserkers that's been reduced down to one rank and therefore they're at their strongest, or, you know, hell, even your uh, Sworn Swords because they can activate Stark Fury for free. This is the I'm going to stick around card. Uh, you're going to find this one is very useful against the Lannisters. In games against, well, let's say future factions that don't focus so much on panic tests, this will lose some of its charm because, again, the Lannisters in general, they're the faction that's going to win via panic test. That's kind of one of their sticks. So this card is going to be immensely useful for them, and especially in your early games, you're going to like this one. 
it's going to depend on you know, who your enemy's commander is exactly, but odds are they're probably going to be playing Cersei, and this one is a direct counter to her as well. So a useful card, situational, but you're going to get a lot of use for this if you're just playing directly out of the starter box. Next one up, we have Winter is Coming. When a friendly unit declares a charge, your opponent may not play tactics cards or use orders for the remainder of this turn. If you control combat zone, any enemy they successfully charge also becomes panicked. This is one of the few cards in the Stark Arsenal that can throw out Panicked, um, which in general is not something they want to focus on, but it is a nice effect to have because the Lannisters in general don't have the best morale, so causing Panic to them is actually quite easy and quite a benefit to do. You're going to be tempted to use that Panic counter immediately, and that's not always the worst you know thing to do because this card pairs very nicely with a lot of your other ones, such as Northern Frosty like I talked about, and that can actually get you that full triumvirate of them being Sundered, uh, having Vicious, and then Vulnerable and Panicked. That is absolutely devastating for a unit, and you're taking away their ability to play any type of defensive tactics cards, to use any type of orders. This card here can really shut down a lot of strategies. Well, it shuts down any strategy, really. Uh, but specifically against the Lannisters, because they have a lot of defensive tactics and a lot of nasty orders that are going to come through if you attack them. So I want to also point out specifically this only stops tactics cards and orders. It doesn't stop just generic abilities. So uh, Lannister Supremacy on the guards will still trigger um, anything like that. This is specifically things like orders such as the Separate Charge build and the Halberdiers, which by the way, that's a fantastic one to use against as well, uh, and any tactics cards. So if you feel that your opponent's like holding a Wealth of the Rock or just some nasty little trick, this ensures that all of those things are just going to be gone. Really, you want to keep this card for kind of those power play turns when you really need a action to uh, go off without your opponent doing anything to mess that up. Because the Lannisters love doing that in general. I mean, they're all about panic tests, they're all about control, and this throws a wrench in that plan. This is a very valuable card, so really need to think about when you use this, and, you know, just keep it as an asset, okay? Um, to note, this is one of the best cards to probably search for with Sansa. Uh... Jumping ahead here, as I said, can be a little chaotic. Sansa allows you to once per game search your deck for any tactics card, uh, deck or discard pile. So if you really need to make a power play, you can use Sansa. Search for Winter is Coming and use that to shut down any effects. You know, if you're playing against someone who is just stacking tactics cards in their hand, or you really need an effect to go off. So, general strategies there. Keep this. It's your kind of ace in the hole card. The North remembers. When a friendly unit is destroyed, target a friendly unit and remove one activation token from them. They may be activated again this round, or they may restore to three wounds. If you control the combat zone, they gain both effects instead. This one here is if we, your guys die, your other guys are going to get really pissed off about it, and they're going to get act to activate again. This one has twofold. One, it can be kind of situational because it does require you to be destroyed, so it's going to be useful for the mid to late game. But you can kind of set this up as well. And the thing is, this card actually does require a bit of setup. It's not just a freebie. Uh, the healing effect is the, the freebie part of this, but... The main effect is being able to activate a unit an additional time, and that is going to require a bit of setup for you, because you're basically going to want to pick the unit that you want to activate a second time, activate them early in the round, and then hopefully you have another unit that's going to get killed or, you know, die soon. So you might want to have to bait your opponent out uh, to make them attack and kill them, and then boom, you play this card, your other unit that's the more powerful one gets to activate again. Um, this one, it's really hard to talk just general strategies, because... This one is almost so reliant on the current state of the battlefield. You're just going to have to get a feel for when this card um, is going to be able to be played for its maximum utility. 
Obviously, if you control the combat zone, that's when you know you're going to gain both effects. And sometimes you're going to want to heal your guys up, sometimes not. I mean, for example, with the Stark Sworn Swords, you might want to keep them at that last rank because you're not really losing that many combat dice, but you're gaining a free use of Stark Fury. Uh, usually you're going to want to heal them, but then there's some other situations like Berserkers where, you know, okay, I want the 10 dice. If you got Caitlyn out there, she's just going to let the unit attack at their maximum number anyway, so you don't even have to worry about the healing. But really, that's a secondary effect. The main one here is you want to get rid of that activation token. And again, I really wish I could go into some deeper strategies of this one, but this one you're just going to have to play and really get a feel for. Devastating Impact. When a friendly unit charges, that unit may reroll their charge distance die, and their attack deals plus two additional automatic hits. If you control the maneuver zone, the unit automatically counts as having rolled a six for their charge distance, and they deal plus two automatic wounds instead of hits. This one is for when you need a charge to go off, or you just want to deal a little bit of extra damage. A lot of people I see playing this card, they just throw it down because they want to deal the extra damage, but I think the biggest utility for this one is if you control the uh, maneuver uh, zone and getting that automatic six, because that allows you to take some really risky, or otherwise risky plays and just make them a guaranteed. One of the good combos with this one is if you're running, uh, oh, I want to say it's, oh, I'm just going to scroll down here. I'm going to say it's Rob Stark, the Young Wolf. Yes, Rob Stark, the Young Wolf, who has the Rapid Assault ability. If targeted by Maneuver, the unit may make a free charge action instead of a Maneuver slash Retreat action. Sorry, I didn't know if it was him or Great John, but in hindsight, of course it's Rob, because he's the Maneuver guy. Uh, this card synergizes really well with that attachment, because you can just plop down one of your NCUs on the Maneuver Zone, turn that into a charge, and then you automatically get the 6 for the charge distance, and deal plus 2 wounds instead of hits. So you're getting the best of everything with this card if you're investing into... Rob uh, the Young Wolf attachment. So that's uh, one of the cards to keep in note if you're running him there. Otherwise, I really do value the rolling an automatic 6 for charge distance as the highest asset of this card. Rerolling your charge die in general is nice. So if you're running through like a uh, bog or something that's causing hindering, so you're going to have to roll two dice and keep the lowest, this one here allows you, you know, to reroll those and hopefully you know not get bogged down. Oh, I don't like puns, guys, so that was not intentional. Um, so you know this one's useful there, but this one can really turn into a power play card with the right attachments. Again, there you go. Next one, Swift Advance. When a friendly infantry unit activates, that infantry unit may make a free maneuver action. If you control the maneuver zone, the unit also gains plus one speed and may reroll any charge distance dice this activation. This one here is arguably one of the most tactical and scariest cards of the generic Stark ones. Probably my favorite one as well. Because this is going to allow you to quite easily set up a flank charge, in some cases a rear charge on a unit. Uh, this one is going to probably, again, I, I really kind of want to stress this. In my eyes, this is the most powerful generic uh, tactic card available to the Starks. It's also the one that if you read it, you're just kind of shrug it off the most. So let's look at this situation here. I'm going to claim the uh, maneuver zone. I am going to give the unit a free maneuver action. Uh, I am then going to, on its actual like start of its activation, place swift advance. And then it's going to be able to take its normal move. So let's look at the average unit of sworn swords. It got to move 5 because I claimed the maneuver zone. It got to move 5 again because of swift advance. That's 10 inches of clearance. And then it takes its action, which, let's be honest, in this case is probably going to be a charge. So it's going to move another 5 inches plus D6. Uh, in this golden situation, I also control the maneuver zone, so I'm actually going to be moving 
a total of uh, 16 inches and rerolling my charge distance die. So 16 plus a d6 with a reroll. That's covering an insane level of ground, guys. You can clear almost an entire enemy army and get definitely anywhere you want across the table. Now, of course, I did combine that with the maneuver zone. So looking at this card by itself, though, you're still giving the unit an additional clearance to definitely get into a flank. There is no excuse in the world why you're not charging someone in the flank with this card. So even take your common unit of Berserkers, and their movement is 6. So 6 is definitely going to be enough to clear into a flank, and then you're going to be hitting them in the side. So combine the Berserkers' Sundering ability, which gives you minus 1 to your defense saves, and the flank bonus, which gives the opponent minus 1 to their defense saves. You're giving you minus 2. Against most anything you're going to be playing against, that's going to reduce their save into only passing on 6s. Even Lannister Guards are only going to be passing on 5s. So you're going to actually be able to just devastate the Ray unit using just this card alone here. Uh, so again, this one doesn't seem like it does a whole lot. But I, if, if properly played, it is your strongest card by far. By far. Sudden Charge. When you claim any zone on the tactics board, you may replace that zone's effect with one friendly unit may make a free charge action. If you control the maneuver zone, any enemy they successfully charge also becomes vulnerable. This is going to uh, really allow you to double down if you're playing the Rob Attachment and this card. Now obviously you don't want to you know, target them with this effect and the Rob effect because you're wasting it, but this is going to make it so that Maneuver Zone is just really scary for your opponent because you're going to have two of these cards in your deck and then Rob himself that at any time, if you claim that zone, which the Lancers don't really want uh, in general, then you're going to be able to just you know, really boom out those charges. If you are a Lancer playing against Starks, by the way, Noting your guards are generically, uh, generically, I'm going to ban myself from saying that word for the rest of this podcast, uh, are typically slower than anything else on the table with a speed of four. So actually claiming that maneuver zone on some of the positioning and objective-based games, you're going to want to do that just because you're going to need to get across the board. Otherwise, the Starks are going to run circles around you. Uh, so that also shuts down this card as well. So that's just a little bit of tip for those Lannisters out there in case you're listening. Uh... Typically, though, this card here is going to be a denial card for the Starks. Uh, you're going to want to use this to counterclaim the crown or the wealth area, specifically to deny the Lannisters their effects there, because the Lannisters have a lot of nasty, nasty tricks that just get super worse if they claim those two zones, especially the crown. Uh, while causing a panic test with the crown area is nice against the Lannisters, Getting a charge off of your units and getting your guys in combat and getting to do your actual attacks is usually going to be worth it more for you. And in this situation, you're also shutting down the crown benefits of the Lannisters, so you're getting the extra benefits there. You can use this one just straight aggress uh, for straight you know, offense and aggression, but really, this is a counterplay card, so I want you to think about it like that. Uh, if you're going first in the round and you know it's mid-game and everything, your first play is probably going to be want to be to take Caitlyn or Sansa and claim that crown area and turn it into a sudden charge. Uh, just to, again, get your guys in combat, get them killing stuff, but to shut down those nasty Lannister crown effects that they're going to have on their tactics cards. All right? And as more stuff comes out, that's going to become a lot more useful as, for example, maybe some units actually start gaining abilities if they control certain zones. You know, uh, maybe certain guys that we, you know, previewed at Adepticon. Who knows? Alright, next up we actually have Great John Umber's generic, uh, not generic, specific tactics cards. I don't want to get too much into these here because really we're going to give each of the commanders their own uh, spotlight like we did with Jamie and Rob. So here I'm just going to read through them and just, again, keep it simple here because they're going to get their in-depth look. Berserker Tactics. 
when a friendly unit makes a melee attack after attack dice are rolled. The defender suffers D3 wounds after this attack is completed. Unless this unit only has one remaining rank, it suffers that many wounds as well. If this is a House Umber unit, you may deal three wounds instead of rolling. So all of uh, Great John's cards are going to be focused around the fact that as his guys die, they're going to get stronger. And I know I said that for a lot of the generic Stark abilities, but Great John really takes that to another level. So if you really like living on the edge and you really want to just run a bunch of, oh, you're going to hurt me? Well, now I'm just going to you know murder your face in. That's the, uh, the commander you want to play. Lash out. When a friendly unit is attacked with melee, if this unit has one destroyed rank, deal the attacker D3 wounds. If it has two destroyed ranks, deal D3 plus two wounds instead. If this is a House Umber unit, you may ultimately count as having rolled a 3. And we'll read Last Stand real quick as well. Last Stand. When a friendly unit is destroyed, that unit may make one free melee attack using its highest attack die value before being removed. If this is a House Umber unit, the defender also becomes vulnerable. The reason I want to read all these right quick is because you're going to notice that these specifically target House Umber units. Um... So, just a pro tip for the future here and everything, you might see more House Umber units aside from just the Berserkers. In addition to that, if you take Great John, he actually has the affiliation House Umber ability, so you can stick him into a unit and turn them into Umber as well. This is, of course, you know, made it so you can have Umber-themed armies in, you know, actually now you can, just if you're running a bunch of Berserkers and Great John. Um, and potentially, at the if you look at the end of the last Kickstarter update, as in the one, the final one before the campaign ended, you might see some guys who look similar to the Berserkers but have different weapons and slightly different armor. Those guys may or may not be House Umber and thus expand your options. But we'll be talking about those guys and what they may or may not be uh, at some point in the future. Moving on to Rob Stark. Uh, you know what guys, I'm actually just going to skip him over because we already did a whole podcast video here. Uh, a video. <laughs> a podcast talking about him specifically. Just skipping over his tactics cards uh, and his commander card there actually as well, the Wolf Lord, because if you want to read more about him specifically, go listen to that podcast. It talks about him in super depth. Great John Umber, Lord of Last Hearth. Again, he's going to get his own uh, podcast talking specifically about uh, his general strategies and tactics, so I don't really want to go too much depth on him. We're going to skip him over, and you move down to the generic attachments in the starter box, the Umber Champion, and the Storm Sword Captain. Beginning with the Umber Champion, he has the Fury Unleashed ability. If this unit has one or more destroyed ranks, its melee attacks gain Vicious. Defenders suffer minus to their panic test. If it has two destroyed ranks, the defender also becomes panicked. Noting this triggers any time the unit makes a melee attack. So this is going to give these Starks one of the only sources of panic test manipulation for the enemy that they have in their army and it frankly gets really scary because as I've mentioned previously the Lannisters do not like being forced to uh, take their own medicine as you will and take a bunch of panic tests they're not good at it they don't have anything to prevent it and most of their units morale is frankly crap I mean they have a very average morale of a 7 and you can start using effects to reduce that even further it gets real bad for them so here you are going to gain vicious if you have a destroyed rank so the Berserkers, you're just going to be stronger in general throughout all these. So sticking a Umber Champion in a unit Berserker is going to make your unit pretty costly at 8 points. But you're going to gain a unit uh, that has Sundering Base and gains more attack dice as it takes damage and then starts gaining Vicious and causing the enemy to become panicked. A unit of Berserkers that's been reduced down to 1 rank or influenced by Caitlyn uh, is going to be throwing 10 dice with Sundering, causing Vicious, causing Panicked, uh, and hitting on 3+. plus. 
By the way, I'm sorry, they're not going to gain any of these bonuses if Caitlyn's doing it, so this is just naturally if they are destroyed down to one rank. So, sorry if I said that. You know, the cards do only what they say they do. They don't do anything else. So, if you want to make that investment there, uh, you will have a unit that is incredibly scary when it's been reduced down to one rank. Hell, even at two ranks, they're still throwing nine dice and causing vicious. So, that means against a Lannister Guard unit, which is your kind of... Um, Kind of your comparison point because they are one of the most tanky units in the game. You're going to be hitting them with Sundering, reducing their armor by one, so they're only passing on a four plus. You're throwing nine dice and hitting on threes, so you're going to be causing on average about six hits, uh, three to four wounds, and then they're going to suffer that panic test, which is going to be hit, hitting them with Vicious, so they're going to be passing on a nine plus. Your average uh, roll on that is going to be a seven, so that means they're going to fail that by around two to three, which means you're going to be wiping out about two ranks with this attack, uh, give or take some averages. And you're also not going to allow them to trigger their Lannister Supremacy ability, which is their primary ability to deal damage, which is um, when you attack them, if they pass their panic test, you in turn have to make a panic test at a minus two. Uh, Lannister guards in all other respects can't really kill anything in melee, so that's how they're gonna trigger a lot of that. But the important thing to note is that with a unit of Berserkers, again, just having suffered only four damage, which is super easy for the Berserkers to have suffered, they're going to be taking out almost two ranks of one of the heaviest defense units in the game. If you're against some Halberdiers, you actually have a strong chance of just crippling them down to only one or two models left. You're probably, you're, well, your odds are you're never going to wipe out a full unit with only one attack unless the dice are just super in your favor and super against your opponent. So that's pretty good. If you can reduce a unit down to only one rank with uh, one attack, pretty good. I mean, again, you're investing eight points, so almost the cost of two full units. But... It's a good thing to add in there. Uh, throwing him into a unit of Stark Sworn Swords is also not bad because Stark Sworn Swords retain uh, attack dice fairly well throughout their entire progression. They go from 8, 6 to 5. So they never lose, have a heavy drop-off point like, say, some other units like Lannister Guards or Halberdiers where they can get down to, like, 3 dice. That's, you know, the, your combat army. So your guys maintain a fair number of attack dice the entire time. And the Umber Champion just kind of rewards you for kind of that flagrant disregard for your own health if you're going to use uh, Stark Fury a lot which is a self-damaging effect to gain bonuses this guy is just going to make that even more worth it to do so because you're just going to get stronger as you continuously do that of course this doesn't allow you to run Stark Fury with like wanton abandon you're still going to have to gauge when it's best to use it but this guy kind of makes it you know usually it's more worth it than not to trigger that ability next up we have the Sworn Sword Captain Order Martial Training when this unit makes a melee attack, after attack dice are rolled, the defender becomes vulnerable. This is almost, <laughs> I'm going to say it again, a generically useful combat buff. Okay, This guy is not super flashy, but he is a really good just kind of workhorse to fix a lot of the problems that you might have. Uh, those problems specifically being that damn opponent just keeps making their defense saves. Uh, vulnerable for those unaware is when after the opponent has rolled their defense saves you expend the token and they have to re-roll any of the defense dice of your choosing. This guy is good for Umber Berserkers, this guy is good for Stark Sworn Swords, this guy is good in pretty much any unit that does any type of melee attacks. All right, With rare exception this guy is a good investment for one point. With Berserkers uh, I kind of feel that it might be a little overkill to stick him in there. Um, and I don't know why I say that, whereas I don't think it's overkill for number champion. Um, I don't know, because I just feel like your Sundering is already causing that, uh, that minus one to their defense saves. And it's going to be very situational where you're going to need vulnerable on top of the minus one. 
I feel that just making the unit a little bit more well-rounded with Vicious and Panicked, so that way you can target both the enemy's armor and their uh, morale to deal some wounds. I just kind of like that aspect a little bit more. But if you are playing against a an army that, say, has a good morale save, like say you're mirror, mirror matching some Starks, the Sworn Sword Captain is definitely the better pick there because the Stark, you know, your army has a decent morale stat and it has a lot of ways to bolster those uh, morale stats as well. So focusing on that might not be the best thing to do. And the Sworn Sword Captain is just going to help you double down on really piercing through armor. So if you're just playing the starter box, Stark versus Lannisters, the Umber Champion, I feel, is probably going to be a little bit of a better investment most of the time. Uh, the Sworn Sword Captain, though, is going to come into his own when you're facing his other armies, or if you're doing mirror matches. As not to say, though, that it is not worth it when you're playing against just the Lannister starter box, because you do have to contend with Lannister guards, who I keep mentioning have some of the best defensive stats in the game. This guy is going to help you mitigate that. Stark Sworn Swords, in general, are going to have a little bit of a tough time piercing through the guardsmen, and the captain here is going to make that not a non-issue, but he's going to definitely help you out. Uh, it's really going to be just kind of your play style, whether you prefer him or the Umber Champion. So, that's what it's going to come down to. Moving on to your character attachments here. Uh, you have the first one, Great John Umber, Fierce Bannerman. Now, he is clocking in at three points. Something to note about the lands, sort of the Stark attachments, the specifically the heroes, they tend to be very expensive, but they are really, really good combat guys. So you're paying extra points, a few extra points for that compared to some of the Lannister ones, but you are gaining a lot of cool benefits. Great John Umber, Fierce Bannerman here, is actually one of my favorites. Uh, first off, he has the order Fury of House Umber. When this unit makes a melee attack, after attack dice are rolled. This unit may reroll any dice. Hits from rolls of six do not allow defense saves. This unit suffers d3 wounds after this attack is completed. This is something very important to note with one specific interaction, and that is Critical Blow. Critical Blow states that for every roll of a 6, you deal 2 hits. Okay? This, this ability specifically says hits generated from rolls of 6 do not allow defense saves. That means that every, with Critical Blow, every time you roll a 6, that is 2 defense saves they do not get to make. Alright? That's very specific in that wording and very specific in that interaction. So, with Critical Blow, this can become super scary. Uh, so definitely stick him in there with uh, some Stark Sworn Swords. Also important to note, this unit may reroll any dice. That is, any dice. It does not say misses. So if you are one of those risk takers, you can reroll any of your successful hits to really bank on trying to get some more sixes. Now again, going back to the Stark Sworn Swords, you're hitting on threes, so you're only missing on ones and twos. So really, you know, you're... It's not that bad to try just risk throwing whatever out there in hopes to roll more sixes. It can come out bad for you, but you're still going to hit 66% of the time. So, you know, maybe re-roll some of those dice and just try to get some sixes. I wouldn't recommend doing that often, but if you absolutely need to cause a specific number of wounds, or you really just need to cause some damage, it might be worth it to do it. And frankly, you're going to be suffering D3 wounds for doing it, and that's a small price to pay. The one thing to note, though, is that it is not a small price to pay if you're combining this with Stark Fury, because then you're suffering 2d3 wounds, so between 2 and 6 wounds. So maybe gauge a little bit and see if that's worth it. Um, yeah, that's mitigated a little bit if they're reduced down to the last rank, but then you might also suffer the additional wounds and kill yourself if you use this ability. But hey, it might be worth it. Combine with Caitlyn for seasoning and, you know, just go ham. Next up, he also has the Onslaught ability. If this unit is targeted by the combat zone, it may make a free charge action instead of an attack action. Uh, you can kind of already see why that's a really cool effect. 
if your unit can't get into combat, he's going to help you just really push in there and really get in there. This one is just going to make it so that combat zone becomes all the more valuable for you. And really what that should convey to the opponent is that it's going to become all the scarier if they just let you claim that. So what that's going to do is kind of put them in a predicament where they're going to, if you're playing against Lannisters, they're going to want to uh, claim the wealth and the crown zone, but they might go out of their way to claim the combat zone from, uh, from you. At least that's a smart play. I mean, the combat zone is a good useful effect for making just attack actions, but usually the Lannisters don't really care about that so much. Like a bunch of guards, okay, yeah, they get to make an attack action with their six dice hitting on fours. Whoopee. Uh, halberdiers are a little scarier because they have Sundering and the Mountainsmen benefit from it, but... You know, it's again a situational thing. Odds are, if they're playing Lannisters, they really want to claim almost uh, not any other area, but their the wealth, the crown, and the tactic zone are all better options generally for them to claim instead of the combat one. So here you're kind of forcing their hand there uh, by just throwing down additional threats there. Also, again, as other units come out, that combat zone has become much more worth it for the Starks. Not to say it isn't now. But as I said with the Crown of the Lannisters, you may or may not see things in the future that make it so that zone becomes even scarier to control. Alright, let's move on to Rob Stark, the Young Wolf. Enhanced Mobility. This unit gains plus one speed and may always pivot before marching. Man, so Rob Stark, the Young Wolf here, is probably one of the most underrated attachments. Uh, because for one, he gives you a free Grey Wind. Okay, we'll get into that when we talk about the units. But for his three points, you're getting a free Dire Wolf, which is giving you an extra activation. That's really good. Okay, guys? Really good. Enhanced Mobility here is also really good. Unit gains plus one speed and may always pivot before marching. This effectively means that you're always maneuvering at the speed of your march. So for Sworn Swords, you are moving 12 inches and shifting, sorry, uh, pivoting before and after that move. With Berserkers, you are rocketing across the battlefield in your uh, Umber brand rocket boots at a staggering speed 7, so it means you can clear 14 inches and really get into some flanks. Now granted, you have turned that unit into effectively a 10 point unit, technically 9 if you want to view it like that, because Grey Wind eh, probably worth around 1 point or so. Um, but still, heavy investment, but you have a super nasty and mobile unit that can just absolutely devastate anything it hits in the flanks. Uh, combine this with Rapid Assault, where if you're targeted by the um, Maneuver zone, make, make a free charge action instead of maneuver slash retreat. Okay, so again, get plus one speed. Berserkers are now charging seven inches plus a d6. Sworn Swords are charging six inches plus a d6. And this is not even considering the fact that you may or may not have, you know, played a swift advance on them at some point in the round. But, Rob, this, this unit turns them into a just kind of assassin unit where they can get to almost any place you need on the battlefield and take out any threat, and usually they're going to hit from the flank. If you really need something super, super dead, you can probably just march right at the side of the table here, like, again, between 12 and 14 inches, uh, turn around, and probably get a rear charge off on an unsuspecting opponent. So, this is super nasty. I love, I love the Young Wolf attachment. And again, he gets you a free Grey Wind. We'll talk about that in a bit, but I want to, you to really focus that fact as well, because Grey Wind is just super cool. Moving on to your NCUs, Caitlin Stark, the Lady of Winterfell. Family, duty, honor, the motto of House Tully. Influence, when this unit claims a tactic zone, attach this card to a combat unit until the end of the round. When Caitlyn influences a unit, remove one condition token from them. While influencing unit, that unit always attacks using its highest attack die value, regardless of remaining ranks. Alright, so the first effect on her is a little situational, and that's the removing a condition token. 
all right that can be useful it's most of the time just gonna kind of be a little bit of a benefit more than anything but it I have seen some games where it kind of you know has saved a unit really you're just getting a minor buff from that her big benefit here though is while influencing unit that unit always attacks using its highest attack die value in your starter box units you're going to get a, a unit of berserkers whose highest attack die value is 10 dice usually only activated when they are reduced down to one rank Caitlin says nope you guys are pulling you know double duty and attacking with 10 dice all the time that is going to be one of your probably prominent combos uh, just playing right out of the starter box is Caitlyn on Berserkers. You're going to see that happening a lot because it's just the natural, like, oh, I'm going to stick them here. The thing to remember, though, is that all your units usually gain some kind of benefit if they're reduced down to the last rank, which does have the negative of making them their weakest on attack die value on average. Caitlyn says, nope, you guys are going to just devastate things. So take a unit of Sworn Swords. You're going to stick this on them here, and they are going to be throwing 8 dice with critical blow and plus 1 to hit, and suffering none of the negatives that they usually would in the form of taking D3 wounds. You can use this on Stark Outriders as well, but you're really just shifting their attack dice from 5 to 8, which can make a difference, but frankly I believe that any other unit that you're going to be fielding is going to gain more benefit from this than the Outriders. If the Outriders are stuck in combat and you need the additional 3 dice, or you know they're going to charge and whatnot, then of course, play Caitlyn on them. But I feel that almost any other unit, well, your other units being your Sworn Swords or your Berserkers, are going to benefit more from her. Caitlyn is going to be super buddy-buddy with those Berserkers when you get them in the starter box, because throwing 10 dice out with 3 dice and Sundering is just going to be super nasty. Also, the fact that she's an NCU, so you claim a combat zone, let them make a free attack at 10 dice with, you know, plus, uh, sorry, 3 plus to hit and Sundering, and then they have the normal activation where they just do it again. That's going to kill anything you come across. Um... So yeah, I feel that if you are playing as the Starks, you're going to come in the starter box specifically, that early combo with uh, Berserkers and Caitlyn is going to be one of your mainstay kind of bread and butter go-tos. If you're going to play a House Umber army led by Great John, then Caitlyn's going to tag along probably most every game because you're going to really be focusing on that aspect of it. Finally, we come to Sansa Stark, the little bird, uh, repeating the words. Uh, namely the fact that Sansa doesn't really do a whole lot. She just kind of copies what everyone says. Such a good character. Once per game, anytime, search your tactics deck or discard pile for any one card and add to your hand. Shuffle your tactics deck afterwards. Flip this card over to show its ability has been used. Now, a weird thing about this that I just want to mention um, is that for some reason, when I see people playing this, they think that her ability can only be used when she claims a zone on the tactics board. And I really don't know why people are coming to that conclusion, because that's not at all what this effect says. This says once per game, and even has the wording there, any time you can use the effect. Any time, guys, means any time. So you're about to make a melee attack. Man, I really wish I had Northern Frosty right now. Oh, hey, Sansa, go fetch that card for me. Oh crap, my unit was just destroyed. Man, I really wish they could make a great, uh, sorry, a great John Umber last stand. Sansa, why don't you go fetch that card for me? Man, I really need this power play to go off, and I know that he's got some kind of counter for it. I really need Winter is Coming. Hey Sansa, take a trip down to the archives here, pick me up that card, and bring it right back. So, yeah, anytime is anytime. Sansa, now she is a three point investment, but she is your ace in the hole. Okay? Well, specifically, she allows you to get your aces in the hole. So, a good investment. Um, the thing about her is that I do see a lot of people initially that they will just kind of use her effect at the first, not, I'm not going to say inopportune time, but they'll see an opportunity to use it and they'll just go like, yeah, now I've got to. 
Frankly, I'm a player that I like keeping the effect around for when I positively absolutely have to make it happen, uh, rather than just, this is going to be a strong play. Obviously, it's going to come down to just familiarizing yourself with your general strategies, the decks, and your opponents, but I will say that oftentimes I do... I see people get a little, I guess, blood crazy. They can see this big, awesome, cool move they can do, and so they activate Sansa, they go and they pull out the last little combo they need, and yeah, you dealt some damage, but you could have saved her effect for when you really needed it. You know, instead of using it the silver opportune time, you save it for the gold opportune time. And that's really just kind of something you're going to have to feel out as you are playing and getting more acquainted with the faction and, you know, the army that you put together in general. So that's my words of advice for her, is that, yeah, she can do some cool stuff. Uh, you're just going to have to gauge what type of cool stuff you want her to do, whether it's just going to be a big flashy play or one that wins you the game. I mean, sometimes it is the same thing, so hey, more power to you. Now we're going to look at the individual units for these Starks, and we'll see if we can give some general tips about them. I mean, a lot of that was kind of covered when I was talking about the tactics, but let's just go over these here. Stark Sworn Swords. These are baseline troops coming in at five points. These are going to be the mainstay of a lot of your army, and while they're not super flashy, they've got a modest defense value, they have a decent uh, morale save, uh, sorry, morale value of a 6+, which is above average for basic line troops, and they also have a very good attack profile that doesn't really diminish as the game goes on. So they hit on 4+, which is average, but it's a straight 8-6-5, whereas a lot of other factions infantry, you're going to see have a very heavy dip of maybe a 7-5-3. Uh, so when they get down to the last rank, they're going to be pretty bad. You're basically fighting at one level higher than most other uh, basic troops. You actually have the stat line of a fairly elite combat troop, just without the hit value. But that is mitigated by the fact that they have Stark Fury. So for taking a little bit of damage, you can gain plus one to hit, which is going to give you a three plus and critical blow, which rolls of six deal two hits. Um, that's an effect that is going to be very beneficial on the charge because you know you can throw down any rerolls you want. And if you have anything that's going to cause that. Caitlyn obviously is a good strategy with these guys because she allows them to bump back up to 8 dice if they're, say, reduced down to their last rank. That's not the largest boost in the world, but hey, every little bit counts and you can activate Stark Fury for free. So, uh, Caitlyn in general just kind of synergizes really well with a lot of the, uh, the starter box units, as I've talked about, so I'm not going to keep gushing over that. But really, if you're Stark Sworn Swords, they're your generic guys. They're really just a good, solid combat unit, and you can cater them out to really serve a purpose uh, in your army, whether you give them a number of champions so they're targeting units with weak uh, morale saves to really force that panic aspect, or if you throw down on them a you know Sworn Sword Captain, then their combat potential does jump way up because you're causing the enemy to become vulnerable on your basically your first attack every round. So they can really become quite lethal, and for their point cost they really do have a lot of value in that combat aspect because they do stick around fairly well with that morale save. Their armor is their weak point, but hey, sometimes you're going to need to con uh, sorry, claim that wealth zone and heal them up a little bit, or just kind of let them dwindle down and then, you know, help Stark Fury the enemy to death. So they're not super flashy. They're not, they don't, you know, do anything other than just be a really solid unit, but they're cheap. And you can kind of mold them to be the type of combat unit you want. Because you can stick, you know, one of your three-point character attachments in them. And that, yeah, it does turn that unit to eight points. But it's not the worst investment in the world. I feel much uh, better about doing that than I do, say, sticking Great John or Rob onto a unit of Berserkers and making them a ten-point unit. Because that's going to be between a third and a fifth of your entire army. And with the Stark Sworn Swords, yeah, it turns them into an eight-point unit. But... Each one of those points matters, because those two extra points you're saving is attachments somewhere else, 
or very close enough to having another non-combat unit. So take that into consideration, okay? Stark Outriders clocking in at 7 points. These are going to be your uh, basic cavalry, um, the only cavalry in the starter box. And here's my big word of advice from these guys. Please stop charging them directly into the front of enemies. Okay, guys? I really can't say that enough. And I know that, you know, when I'm giving demos and things like that, yeah, it's people's first time playing the game, but I just see it happening so often that they'll just take these cavalry who are so good at hitting units in the flank, hitting guys in the rear, and they'll just go, man, i got to slam these horses directly into the front of the enemy. Read the cavalry rule. Each model in this unit has three wounds. At the start of this unit's activation, it may make a free maneuver action. Speed six. There's no reason these guys should ever charge an enemy from the front. They should always be able to get a, uh, a flank charge off. And especially, you have rapid assault with them, so claiming the maneuver zone is going to give you an additional chance to charge. Take the time to set these guys up and get them around to the rear or the uh, you know at least the flank of an enemy. Uh, their combat stats, I mean, if you look at them, they're almost like mounted sworn swords. In fact, they're kind of mounted sworn swords. Um, so they're not great, but they are fairly sustainable in the fact that they also have swift retreat, which is after you use attack to melee and make a free retreat action. So you should never get locked down in combat. Yeah, it sucks that you know you're going to be reduced down to five dice when you're um, reduced down to one rank, and yeah, they only hit on four plus. But that's really because these guys should never be in a prolonged combat. They should always be charging. They should always be hitting guys from the flank. So given that fact, you should always be getting at least you know the flank bonus and a charge bonus of these guys. So rerolls to rerolls rerolling any combat dice and giving the opponent minus one to their defense saves and minus one to their uh, panic tests when they take it. So these guys have a lot of kind of hidden math behind them because you have to take all those bonuses into consideration. Whereas looking at these guys on paper, again, as I said, they look like mounted Stark Sworn Swords, but they're two points more. So you're like, okay, well, what am I paying for here? I'm paying for a harsher drop-off when I lose ranks, and I'm losing my Stark Fury ability for the ability to run away. And, you know, that's two points more. But again, there's a lot of kind of hidden math behind these guys and board control. So... Those are things to take into consideration. You know, don't be one of those armchair generals and just look at unit stats and decide you want to use it or not use it, because these guys uh, really have a lot of the game mechanics backing them up as to why they're really scary. Uh, and well, that's really it. More things to discover as you play. Also, an all Stark Outrider army, uh, not necessarily even one just led by Brendan Tully, is super fun to play. Uh, but that's more of a topic for another day. House Umber Berserkers. These guys are going to cause more grief to your opponents than anything else, and I want to uh, really push the fact that they are the most expensive unit in the starter box, because I can already see that you're going to have some Lannister players going like, man, those are super scary and overpowered and all that. Well, I'm not going to say it's overpowered, but you have to acknowledge the fact that these guys are more expensive than anything else in the entire box. You are paying for that power. Uh, in the form of these guys having insanely good combat stats, Really good morale value, and then kind of crappy armor. I mean, it's not the best armor, but I promise you... Uh, sorry, the worst armor in the world. But I promise you there's a big difference between going from an average of a 4-plus to a 5-plus. You're changing it from 50% of the time you're making a save to 33% of the time you're passing a save. Granted, these guys are only going to get stronger as they take damage, and that's really scary to a lot of opponents. But the whole thing about these guys is you need to focus them down. And this is this unit here is going to teach more opponents to never leave Starks just barely alive than anything else I could possibly tell you or show you, okay? 
the worst mistake that's ever going to happen to opponents is they leave a single rank of Berserkers left, and then you just get demolished by them. As I said before, though, their messiah is kind of Caitlyn Stark, who goes, I'm going to influence you. Throw those ten dice whenever you want, boys. Um, at that point, though, you're technically looking at 11-point investment because Caitlyn is four points. It's not really the same because that NCU is going to be doing you a lot more benefits than just buffing this unit. But you're paying, again, more points to make that happen. And that's definitely going to be one of the strongest plays that you have in the starter box is getting those Berserkers ready for combat and then just throwing down Caitlyn on them. So don't get married to that strategy because the Berserkers are a little fragile and an opponent that is clever about targeting them can take them down. This is one of the things, though, that you're going to see is that I have seen Lannister players hold off from just focusing down the Berserkers, and that is, again, the worst possible thing you can do. You have to focus these guys down because they are not that resilient. I mean, they're going to look at that 4-plus morale and go like, oh, well, I can't hurt these guys. And they're going to throw down Cersei on them, which that's going to help. Uh, they're going to try to make them die by panic. That's not how you kill these guys. I mean, even the Lannister Guardsmen, they can kind of chop through Berserkers at a fairly decent rate. Um, Halberdiers are a mixed blessing against Berserkers because technically when the Berserkers charge in, the Halberdiers get their reactionary set for charge attack which in turn is just going to make the Berserkers hit them harder. Uh, the thing though, and I've actually seen Lannister players opt not to use that attack because of that, and that's madness to me. That is madness. All right, You need to kill the Berserkers as quick and fast as you can, even if you have to sacrifice a couple of extra, uh, not a couple units, but a couple extra models in a unit to make that happen. With the uh, Halvadir specifically, you're throwing seven dice hitting on a four plus. Okay, let's say you average four hits. The Berserkers are only going to pass on six, which means they're going to lose between three and four. Your best case scenario there is you kill three of them so they don't lose a rank. But even if you kill four, they're only gaining one extra die. Yeah, it's going to hurt, but that's not the end of the world. And frankly, you need that unit dead, okay? You need them dead. So that's something I've seen Lannisters do is they just kind of hold themselves back like they don't want to cost too much damage. Yeah, the Berserkers get better, but they only get better by one die, okay? Throwing eight dice to the three plus of Sundering baseline is still really scary. Throwing 9 and 10, yeah, that's scary-er, but it is not that much scary-er, okay? So don't get intimidated by them. Now, if they have another attachment with them, like Great John Umber or Rob or uh, actually Hell, even an Umber champion or uh, a Sworn Sword captain, that changes things a bit. They're, they're going to be a lot more scary, but Hell, again, you're talking 8 to 10 point investment here. So I know I just talked about a bunch of ways to counter the Berserkers, uh, but I feel that that uh, kind of talks about how scary they actually are in the fact that they are a big psychological threat. Your opponent's going to want to focus them down, so Starks take advantage of that and kind of use them as a distraction unit. Uh, sometimes you got to sacrifice for the greater good, right? All right, moving on to our last topic here, we have Grey Wind. Grey Wind comes for free if you take Rob Stark, either as the commander version or the attachment version. Greywind here is zero points, so he is not worth anything as far as the victory through combat rule, which means that he's not worth any victory points. So you can kind of throw him out with wanton disregard and get him killed to serve the greater good. I know that that is going to cause a lot of heartache for, you know, you poor Stark guys out there, because I know you love your dire wolves. But you know what? Sometimes wolves got to die to keep an army, you know, uh, to keep the... Uh, sorry, I had a better analogy there and I messed it up. <laughs> All right, so let's just get down to it. Greywind here, uh, the one thing I want to say, all joking aside, do not just throw him out there to be sacrificed. 
I've seen a lot of players that they will, and I've done this a couple times myself, uh, you'll just throw him out there uh, because, yeah, okay, he can get in combat, so let me just throw him into combat. And that's a waste of him, all right? Greywind, uh, he only has two wounds. Yeah, he's got three plus save, but he is not going to be able to take on barely anything by himself. And yeah, you're going to be able to charge something uh, fairly easily because he's got the same rules as the cavalry do where he gets a free maneuver, but they're just going to immediately turn around and probably kill him. All right? What you want to do with Greywind is you want to make heavy use of his stalking assault ability, which is if attacking an enemy in the flank or rear, that enemy becomes vulnerable. Now, he's throwing two dice at a two plus, so odds are he's not going to need to make them vulnerable because you're not going to deal that much damage. The whole thing about him is that you really want to combo him with other units, okay? Um, I thought that would be really apparent to players, but apparently uh, not the case. So, with Greywind, have another unit get into combat, or at least set up to get into combat. Send Greywind in there, hit them on the flank, make that enemy vulnerable. Then, when your other unit that's in combat attacks, they can make use of that vulnerable. Plus, there's a direwolf on the flank. So now you're going to be forcing the enemy into a you know situation where they're either going to be suffering a flank attack every single round, getting vulnerable, suffering minus one to their defense saves, suffering minus one to their panic test, or they're going to have to waste an action attacking Greywind specifically to try to take him down. And that means they're not attacking the unit they're engaged with. So Greywind is... In my mind, a fully defensive piece that throws down offensive capabilities. And by that, I mean that he creates a damned-if-you-do, damned-if-you-don't situation for any defenders, in which you have this little constant annoyance that they have to choose, man, I don't really want to devote resources to dealing with, but I kind of have to because of the amount of debuffs that he's causing me. So that's how I really want you to view him, okay? And that's, I think, the best use of him as well. Uh, and that's his general combat, by the way. He's also really good at taking objectives and you know doing things like that, and that's going to be useful depending on the game mode you're playing. In uh, a Game of Thrones, he can definitely take one of those control points on the far side of the map because he's really fast. And again, your opponent's going to have to devote resources to going and getting rid of a single direwolf. If you're playing Winds of Winter, it really depends on what secret missions you draw out. Um, but even in a Storm of Swords, you know where controlling the uh, flank objectives is going to allow you to outflank your other units, Sending Greywind up there early to take control of one of those can really set you up for some power plays later on in the round. Uh, it also helps that, you know, he has a 2-plus morale save, so the if you're playing Feast for Crows, it's going to become exceedingly hard to actually displace him uh, with any of those, uh, those nasty morale checks that are going to be very prominent in that game mode. Also talking about the 2-plus morale save, that also means that he is basically immune to a lot of Lannister tricks. Now granted, as a Lannister player, I don't really know why you would waste a lot of resources uh, as far as the panic test and things on him, because it's a waste. You can kill him in combat pretty easily. But I've seen Lannister players uh, throw down a bunch of stuff, like Cersei and Hear Me Roar and things like that, just to try to kill Greywind. And again, he's a zero-point unit. You got him for free. I mean, technically you got him for free. Um, but I don't know why. It's just a psychological threat of seeing a direwolf on the battlefield. So, if your opponent's doing that, then more power to you. I feel they're making a series of bad decisions, so that's on them. But as far as you go, again, use him as a, a tool. Don't use him as just another little combat thing you can throw out there. Uh, use him as something that can get in the flanks and really make use of that stalking assault. The last thing that is super useful about him, though, is that he can also be used as a pretty nasty... Uh, charge deterrent by just you run him and you stick him in front of a unit and then the enemy has okay I've got to get through a direwolf which 
yeah, they can probably charge around him, but they're going to have to angle themselves in such a way to do that, and that can usually add an inch or two onto the charge distance they need. So that's something else to do, is kind of use him to um, charge block uh, as well. And so that way, you know, the opponent has to either go through him, which they might do, and it might prevent another unit from getting attacked, or they're going to have to go around him. In which case, yeah, that's going to add one or two to their charge distance, and they might fail that. Uh, so again, just stop just running him directly at the first thing you see. Let him stalk across the battlefield. I mean, he's got an attack called Stalking Assault, for God's sake. I mean, you know, be a little tactical with him. <laughs> but, alright, guys. So, we've gone over all the generic Stark Tactics cards. We've very briefly talked about the uh, Commander cards, because, again, they've got their own podcast, which you should go listen to, because it's awesome, and you get to hear more of my voice. Uh, we have gone over the attachments and the non-combat guys, and now we've gone over the units. Uh, once again, this has been a look at just generic... Okay, last time I'm going to say that, guys, in this, in this podcast. Uh, starter box stuff. There's obviously a lot more that you guys are getting in the Kickstarter. There's a wealth of other commanders. There are some additional units. There are just, you know, and we're not talking about mercenaries, uh, sorry, neutral forces that you can add into your army here, which are going to give you even further options. This has been specifically dealing with just the starter box, and I hope this will give you some basic tips so that when you get into your initial games, you have an idea of strategies and tactics going into it. Now there's a lot more to cover because there's tons of different situations that are going to come up that's going to require tactics on the fly, but hopefully this will give you a little bit of a primer coming into things so you're not coming in blind and you at least have some general ideas in your head when you're going into your first few games. And I hope that's giving you the assistance there to really help it help you crush those nasty Lannisters. Uh, on that topic, Lannisters, you'll be getting your own video on this and some time to crush those you know weak, feeble-minded Starks. Anyway guys, that's going to be it for now. Join me next time, and we will have fun talking with the Lannister tactics. Guys, take care.